Hi, and welcome to the IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris Fall, the editor of the Toolkit, and we're back, but we're not really back. We're still on the hiatus uh, from Oscars, uh, in between Oscars and Emmy season, and also spring and summer movie season. Um, but we are going to do a special episode a few weeks early before we come back in late April. And by the way, we've got great showrunners, great directors scheduled for... Um, the end of the month, May and June. Um, really excited about that. But we're having a special uh, episode because, well, our our guest is special, Terry Gilliam, and his film, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Uh, and I'm sure you know the 30-year history to some degree here, all the trials and tribulations that Terry has gone through uh, to get this film made. Uh, if you've seen the documentary Lost in La Mancha, uh, which is for most directors a horror film, uh, you know, this movie literally got swept away in a flood, followed by a medical emergency for its lead. But it, it didn't stop there. I mean, every two years, it seems like Terry reinvented, rewrote, put a new team together, put new stars together to try to get this thing done. And it's really a story of persistence and what he had to finally do to get this film made. And also, by the way, right up to today, getting it into theaters. I mean, he, he faced a lawsuit that almost stopped it from being played at Cannes and uh, caused Amazon to dump it. Um, and so I don't want you to miss this opportunity. Wednesday, tomorrow, April 10th, it will play one night across the country, one of these Fathom events. Um, and this is a film that it's, it's hard to believe exists. And so that story of how it does exist is a remarkable toolkit story. Um, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with one of, one of the best filmmakers of his generation. And then we'll see you in a few weeks when we're back on the regular every Thursday uh, new podcast with a great uh, director or showrunner. You know, I was trying to go through this last night looking at because I, I wrote about this about 10 years ago. How many different times, I've lost track of how many different versions and times you went, you went to make this. That's the problem for me. The same thing. I'm not sure. I, I think I counted 11 producers 11 fairly producers. recently. I mean, there were some that were going, some were just talk. Others got more and more extreme. One involved uh, a woman who ended up, we, there was an offshore, offshore from Tunisia film uh, uh, company we had to set up because somehow we were getting the gold from the ex-Tunisian president when he scampered during the Arab Spring. And that grew into something even more interesting. The, the money was in gold bullion in Zurich. And then it turned out that went a bit wobbly. And the next person that was involved, the same producer, but she had found a man who apparently owned 15 one five percent of the mineral wealth of the planet and he was good he, he apparently loved her and was really impressed with her and was going to give her all the money we needed and he kept being unable to get to london he had heart attacks and various other physical ailments that always just when he was supposed to arrive he didn't and then he shifted his money coming through, it was going through his daughter's bank account. This went on and on, even to a point where we got, his lawyer came to London and a contract was signed. We, that night we went out and celebrated, it was fantastic. The next day, they got, the lawyer called and said, forget about it, it's over. <laughs> so we've been involved with some very interesting fantasists who have been more crazy than Quixote. 
thinking they would be the producer to make the impossible film. My understanding, well, I'm curious what was the final yeah. combination that got it across the finish line, but my understanding is uh, uh, your daughter in particular yeah. was very persistent and kind of and kind of steerheaded this last move to, yeah. to actually getting it made, right? Well, we were involved, we had been able to get about 12 and a half million euros uh, from the marketplace because the, having been around that long, you know, we felt, we smelled a bit like last week's fish is what we did. And it was very hard. So, and the budget we had got to was, we knew it was, had to be about 16 million euros. We could get to 12 and a half, maybe a little bit more, but never really getting there. And Amy, made and met a woman who had late in, late in life had come into a lot of money. And she had seen Lost in La Mancha, and she got to know Amy, and she just wanted to see the movie made and gave us three and a half million. And that was the final, yeah. And that was, that was got us over the line. Uh, along the way though, this isn't just about different producers, along the way, you've always shifted the story, right? The story has evolved, right? Yeah, yeah. How much of that was keeping it fresh? How much of that was making it better, it, or sometimes meeting, you know, it's a different movie, Johnny Depp and yeah, Adam yeah. Driver. How much of it is like uh, the change of circumstances, you guys just making a better script, or is it just in your head you're making a new movie each time? It's a bit of all of that. I mean, the, after the collapse of the Johnny version, we started talking about why are we going to the 17th century? Is there a way of just staying in the 20th or 21st century? keep it contemporary so we don't have to worry about antennas on buildings, planes flying over, dealing with those pragmatic and Digitally going in and removing phone lines and things yeah, like that. Yeah, all of that, that stuff, yeah. just to save money. And that started the process, okay. And then it came, and I can't remember the sequence, but from that we got to the idea that Toby, we see his past, we see him 10 years earlier when he was optimistic, full of, you know, he was pure, let's say before he had corrupted his, his gift. <laughs> and, and, uh, and that became really interesting because he's the guy who actually made the film called The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And as it became to me about the corruption of that early success in so many people. I know mm -hmm. how, at, uh, what it does when you make something, you're spotted by the co people in the commercials business or even Hollywood, you know, it says, oh, come on, and you're off going slightly the wrong direction very early. The other then became the idea about the effect it had on the people who were in the film, which comes... The people that are in Toby's student film made, exactly. couple, made 10 years ago or something. And what that does to people, how you, know, you get a, a young girl who he says, you know, could be a star, who she goes off and leaves home and... Uh, her life changes very dramatically. Or in the case of the shoemaker, Javier, he plays Quixote and begins to think he is Quixote. And eventually is just hauled around from to fiestas where he performs the film <laughs> in the back of this filthy truck. <laughs> and, and those just became more and more interesting playing al along that. Now, we didn't change anything at all, really, once Adam came on board. I mean, we were just always working from a script point of view and either thinking we're making it better or we're making it better, but certainly we were entertaining ourselves mm -hmm. in the course of it. Mm -hmm. 
He's an interesting actor too because um, I, I, lo I love Adam yeah. uh, as, a, as a performer. He's, yeah. he's amazing. But there, there is an element of him, um, to use a phrase, that's not necessarily Gilliam-esque. You know, in that really? sense, he's, there's something a little bit, um, I don't know, almost leaning back a little bit patient about him versus yep, yep. kind of uh, an emboiling yeah. kind of... Yeah. I, I'm wondering, that, that's got to be a little bit of a reconception of... Because he's wonderful and he fits right yeah. into that yeah. Gilliam world. But that's what, to me, was so important. In many ways, there's a connection between Fisher King and Quixote. Mm -hmm. I mean, and in Fisher King, Jeff Bridges was so important because Robin, you know, is into the Gilliam world, yeah, yeah. just as Jonathan is in, in Quixote. And Jeff was the ground. He was the thing that held us firmly on the ground, no matter how crazed things got. And Adam has that same quality, and that's the function. He doesn't rise to the the speed, the energy, the madness of myself. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> and it's, it's so critical because he does make, he's believable. He's so honest and true to whatever. And, and to me, that's one of the great parts about the film is that he is so good at being what he has to be and yet is not ever boring. He's... This film shows his range more than any other film. Mm. And he can be... Wonderful comedic timing. Wonderful timing. Perfect timing. Great reactions to whether what Jonathan's doing or Stellan. Or, and then he'll do something that is so surprising, like when he arrives back in the village and he goes into Raoul's bar. And he's so kind of smooth, sleazy, and it makes me howl. And even when he goes to Angelica's room and, well, they grow up, Raoul, and he doesn't know what he's stepping into. There's an innocence about his arrogance, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Please take a step. Um, don't. How much, I mean, obviously, you, you've heard this before. I heard you tell the Times that you're Sancho, not, not Quixote. <laughs> but, but, I mean, obviously at this point, the, this film becomes this process of, uh, a Quixote-like process of making it. Yeah. How much of that Toby character, who I know uh, had a foot in the advertising world, as does the driver yeah, version yeah. of it, that idea of not only Toby becoming a filmmaker, being a filmmaker, but having shot at least part of a version of Quixote himself. <laughs> I mean, these characters—one doesn't—I don't watch Adam on screen and think, "Oh, that's Terry." Yeah. But there is—I have to imagine—there is. That is something that kind of evolved, that kind of paralleled the process of, no? It wasn't conscious, let's it put it that way. No, it wasn't, because we just thought, this is a great idea, doing this. And we weren't thinking that, oh, it'll be just, the making of this film would be just like the making of the film, blah, blah, blah. It's, yeah. you know, self-reflecting. It wasn't meant to be that, but clearly... It's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the old, footage, the old footage. What is the old, the black and white footage from Toby's student? We film? shot it. You shot that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what his film was like. <laughs> it was really funny. Even when we were shooting the film, I said, "We don't know what the scene is. What's going on there?" And I just sort of invented some stuff. Yeah. That I thought, okay, this will have to do. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it, and it was, I just I love the fact. At one point, I thought his film, at least what we shot might be a better film than the one we shot. <laughs> For a minute, there was like a low angle kind of looking up at the horse, and I was like, because I, 
Yeah. I'll be honest with you, I'm going to go see it on Wednesday night on the big screen. I, I wasn't at Cannes. Yeah, so no, so no, I was no, I was no. with a, a screener last night. So, But I, when it first came out, I was like, is this that Wells one that got lost? Like, you know, <laughs> like, look at that black and white looking up at that angle. And stuff yeah. and then, uh, but what we, I mean, in Toby's <laughs> film, because in our version, I'm not using very wide angle lenses. I'm shooting it much more straight and normal I'm not weird angles none of that stuff is going on but in his film we were shooting extreme wide angle lenses and way down so it was a, a much more Wellsian looking yeah. film <laughs> well let's talk about that the, um, there is a distinct I, I read through the press notes and I have to admit I wouldn't have gotten through the, the Spanish painting references and no, things no, like no, that no, no, no. but there is an element here of a very conscious um, I mean, one could watch this and see that it's a Terry Gilliam film. I'm not trying to say it's no, a... No. You, but there is a, a sense of what you're doing with these compositions and the way you're approaching the frame, yeah. which is very distinct to this film. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. I don't know, because I, I don't think about it when I'm doing it. That's what's weird. I mean, references are Gustave Doré, his versions of Quixote, and, and, and Wells is lingering in the background somewhere, but I just don't have people that look as extraordinary as his Quixote and Sancho. <laughs> but anyway, so see, all of that's going on, but when I'm shooting, I don't, I mean, I did, there are storyboards of this film in certain bits, usually action sequences where I do it. Uh, but the rest, I'm just taking a picture. I don't actually sit, oh, it's a reference to, uh, you know, Wells or it's a reference to Pabst. It's not that, that isn't going on. I just say, this is what we got out here. Let's put the camera there. Boom. Well, what about your collabor now multiple years collaboration, talking about this project yeah. with uh, Nicola, um, your, your wonderful cinematographer. What are those, I mean, obviously you guys have a shared language at this point and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and have a sense of each other, which I, one gets a sense of these <laughs> things become like old marriages where you don't have to talk about things. Very much. <laughs> but but I, I, what, what are those, when you are talking about this, what are some of those references that you were kind of pulling from from this one? Well, I mean, yeah, we dig out, it's at the beginning, we dig out, paint, we dig out paintings, references, this is what, that's good, that's good. This, and then we just go to work. We literally, we don't talk much. Okay, we got to get this shot. We start on Toby. Okay, I said we'll get the camera. We'll start on Toby. We'll follow. We'll pick up Stella in there. Boom! Mm -hmm. It's it's made up on the spot, and uh, and I suppose I'm the one that normally puts the camera in position. I say there, there. We start here and we do it. And Nicola will finesse it, do something else, but. He's spending most of his time just dealing with the lights and making that. And I'm just doing, I'm more like the operator. But again, in every film I've got, if you've got a good operator, he can do a lot of the work. He will, and, I'll, I'll, and now I sit back with a monitor much more. And ah, yeah, I move to the left a little bit. That's ah, fine, that's good. Okay, get the light across there. So I, I find the process is something that I don't do consciously. I just do it. And we sort of grunt and groan at each other and get it right. <laughs> was the adjustment to digital tricky for you at this point? Not at all. No, no, no. no. What, the adjustment that was difficult was anamorphic morphic lenses. I heard you got a special lens for this one. First time <laughs> ever used an anamorph anamorphic lenses. Nicola said, we've got to do it. We've never done it. In the past, we've done um, letterbox films. Mm -hmm. It's been with a spherical, yeah, yeah. thirty-five yeah. mil th spherical lenses, thirty-five mil, and we just crop it. That's mm -hmm. what we do. 
anamorphic lenses weigh a ton. They're cumbersome. <laughs> they take so long to change lenses. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> and for whatever speed we were gaining by going digitally, we were losing going anamorphically. <laughs> they do produce beautiful images. Well, you, didn't you have Storaro's lens for this? It's a, it's I don't know if they were. I mean, because, yeah, Nicola gets... That's what yeah. he told me at Cannes. Can. Was that, it that, may, that, it may that, well have been, because yeah. Nicola knows everybody. He worked with Storaro for yeah. a million years, so uh, uh -huh. it goes on. So. I want to make sure, I wrote this down, there was, um, I, I, I'm a little confused. Daniel Arbor, an artist, could um, who did these digital paintings or whatnot, could you talk about how the, that worked? Daniele? Is that was, I'm where sorry. is it? I mean, who have we got? Daniele or, or Dave Warren? No. I, there was there was an element here in this movie of doing. Um, oh, I know. Create, creating the digital, the digital paintings that. No, are what it is 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 Benjamin for that has decided. You know, we were in, in uh, Alexei's lounge, mm -hmm. that it would be great to have these beautiful um, paintings around, and so, we, we basically just copied. So, and I can't, I've just done a blank right now. I was going to say Giotto. It's not Giotto we're talking about. Or I can't remember who we're talking about, the painter. Um, but it doesn't matter, Italian Renaissance painter. And Daniele took the paintings and extended them and made the stuff to go all around the walls. So it's, just, it's, it's a Photoshop job. Is, is it like a, when you're shooting it, is it a green screen? No, no, the, no, no. We, we printed you, the stuff up. You printed the stuff. And we glued it up to the walls of the real, a real building. It's not a set. That's, that's in the monastery of Tomar where we shot the whole uh -huh. finale. Uh, no, and, it, and it's very beautiful looking. Daniele's been involved with stuff I've done since Brothers Grimm. He was a friend of Nicola's. And he's a brilliant artist. And he's somebody we kind of... When we get in trouble, throw it at Daniele. He'll sort out sort it out for us. You know, one of the things that has always amazed me about your films, uh, but in particular the last few, is uh, the production does not get scaled down based on limitations. <laughs> you know, Dr. Moreau was like you created this whole world. Now, what I'm used to in a yeah. Terry Gilliam film is that being an incredibly uh, inventive use of production design. Certainly this film, yeah, yeah. that applies. Yeah, yeah. But this film also, I, I imagine the location itself, because it seems like a movie that is working under limitations normally would want to stay in one place for the efficiency, <laughs> right? Like, you know, turn around, go do this, turn around. Yeah, yeah. And it seems as if part of how you created this world was actually jumping around to different yeah. locations, right? There was, I mean, uh, we were in Fuerteventura. Uh, we worked in a couple different places there. We were near Toledo in Spain. We were near Zaragoza. We were in, uh, near Madrid. We're, yeah, there's a lot of moving around, and it was kind of crazy at times because we did actually use certain locations for many different scenes. You don't notice it because we're looking in different directions. So there was always, yes, we want all these various you want a forest, we want a cave, we want a waterfall, we want all these things. And they were all over the place. They weren't where you would like them to be. And that was the hardest part about the production, moving. And having only one or two days in a place, there was no 
room to make mistakes because the weather and the weather had been was very generous to us because it could have fucked it. us. You've deserved it. You deserve some good I, weather. I, this I feel that because <laughs> we didn't have weather covers so for so much of the stuff. We were just out there naked, and the sun shone. I want to repeat something you just said. Coming off what happened in two thousand one, in which you got flooded, you did not have cover sets for for this movie. Nope. <laughs> nope. God, I love you. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> yes, I know. And that's why the fact we ended on time and budget is unbelievable. Yeah. But we did. And again, uh, Yosef Bukhari was the line producer who deserves all the praise for getting us through all this stuff. And it's in Spain, it's interesting, the Goyas, which are the academy in Spain, yeah. they have... Um, one of the awards goes to the best line producer. Nobody else has that in the world. And it's, it's a job that is not respected. It's the key thing. And he got us through. And, and we, I mean, we were just lucky for once in my life. <laughs> but, it's, but I wanted all those different textures, all those, nothing is, we, we still cheat. There are certain things we're doing uh, where we replace the backgrounds behind, not not the close backgrounds, the distant backgrounds, because there's a bit with the dead mule, we're on the side of this hill, and all it is is uh, agricultural fields behind, mm -hmm. and we took a, put another mountain back there, but that was that was one place that we get the mule bit, we get the castle in the distance, which he thinks is the the last of the Moorish kingdoms. Uh, and we also built uh, a windmill there. And so we have the farm there. It's all in one place. That was the most efficient one we did. <laughs> this movie went into production almost two years ago, March 2017. A year ago, about it's at Cannes. Yeah. And then and then obviously now it's going to be, be in theaters this week. So about a two-year process from shooting to here and there. There's been times, even though you, you did get this, this film in the can. I just remember back to Cannes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just remember back to Cannes. It was right up. We were we were covering the fact that is this going to play or not? Yeah, yeah. And then there was and then post Cannes it was just, so some of these issues in terms of getting the film. Well, even the, once you shot it, there was there was issues of am I going to be able to publicly show this? That right? was the painful bit because of our nameless brief producer, mm -hmm. <laughs> who was on board for all of four months, mm -hmm. and then decided. It was his film. He had nothing to do with the making of the film, ultimately, but he was involved for four months, failed to raise the money, uh, was determined that nobody else would make the film, was kind of what was happening. Uh, and yeah, that's been the real miserable part, all the legal nonsense going on. And, and we win some, we lose some. It goes like, the, the, what happened with the, 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 his legal claims, it frightened a lot of distributors away. It frightened Amazon away. Is that what happened with Amazon? And that was a big one. So that they were both the U.S. and the U.K. and suddenly they're gone. And this was a killer. Because um, they just don't want to get involved. Amazon just doesn't want to get involved in these kind of legal fights. Is that what it they is? They can't afford lawyers. Clearly, <laughs> it's <laughs> that was exactly what was happening. They just did not. Their legal department, which is obviously very powerful, uh -huh. said no way, and it really left us in a lurch. And, and in a sense, the film has been released the wrong way around. Rather than starting in America and then sweeping across the world, mm -hmm. we're just picking up 
where we can. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's been all around Europe now, mm -hmm. uh, but there's no, um, there's no continuity. It's bum, 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 mm -hmm. and that's not great for a film. And each country does its own thing. I mean, and um, here we are. <laughs> in the process, and this has been, it says 25 years. I think it might even be 30 years. I don't know. It's 30 you, you from, from the beginning, yeah. from when I, when I first got a guarantee of $20 million. Because it started off as a normal passion project that took 10 years to make, right? Like kind of, ten, you know, and then the kind of post off that. Is there a point at which you have allowed yourself to think about, I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to do this. Or was this something where you just were never allowed yourself to get in that mindset? Well, I mean, I went and did, you know, Brothers Grimm. I've done uh, mm -hmm. Thailand. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, no, don't sure. tell you that. Yeah. yeah, I know, but those are out of sheer frustration that I can't get this thing done, and suddenly there's a possibility of doing something else, and I do. But then at the finish of each one, there's waiting. There's Quixote waiting in the wings, and so let's go. Let's see if we can get it going again. It's, it's been my fallback, uh, and it sort of keeps me ac active but constantly frustrated. But at a certain point, you just, oh, we got this far, you just keep going. You just keep going until hopefully you pull it off. So you never, so the answer, never, never thought? No. I mean, I, I hated the process and I hated everything about Quixote for most of the time because it was so miserable getting so close and then failing, getting so close. Working with so many different producers who build your hopes up and then you realize you're doing all the work and they're not, delivering their side of the deal mm. and uh, and I mean the number of times I've been on location scouts I changed it because at one have point you seen the, you've seen most of Europe through this movie <laughs> that's what I really have <laughs> and it's like yeah, at one point there was a lot of money in Spain from uh, Valencia that province right, right. Pushing, so Salem so now looking for locations mm -hmm. down there and then then at one it was uh, the Canary Islands so I was in Gran Canary and I was down in Fuerteventura then and finally when the nameless producer moment, he, it was going to be Portuguese money involved in the bid. So come shoot in Portugal, it'll be cheaper. And the one thing we did was find the monastery for the big finale. And that was mm -hmm. the one thing we got out of that. Is it now that it's done? Is, it, is, there, is, it, is there something off your shoulders with it? Yeah. I mean, I just, I can't wait for, well, I, I, I'm just waiting. It's kind of like, because this whole business of a one night stand. I think the release the release yeah and I kind of think I don't know what this is going to be like it's not what I wanted it is what is and so one does all this work we keep going mm -hmm. so the work isn't finished yet it'll be when that comes out that'll be it pretty much there's not much more I can say uh, but it while it's still has a chance of being seen by a lot of people on a big screen I just keep <laughs> pumping away do you have one do you have things that you know you want to do next? I got nothing. It's really weird. I do. I mean, I, I, I joked, I think it was at Cannes, they asked me, what next? And I said, I don't know, The Void. <laughs> and I hate being prescient, but I was right. <laughs> it's, it really, I don't have a fucking clue, frankly. And I'm waiting for something to come along. I'm reading a lot of books, hoping mm -hmm. something will trigger something. That's all. No. Uh, <laughs> it's a very, uh, maybe I'm just, reach the end of the line. Who knows? Maybe I'm old enough now to just stop. 
There was nothing. There's nothing about this film or your last film that would point to being at the end of their uh, end of your line I know, from a filmmaking standpoint. That's what I like about Quixote. One thing, it doesn't feel like it's made by an old fart. <laughs> it's a very young filmmaker at work there. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of. I think that's what intrigued. No, I'd like to get a couple more under my belt before the, the bucket kicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is 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 the way that you've been working in the last couple? Is that is that something? I mean, because there's been adjustments, right? It's, it's <laughs> everybody's working with less, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is that something? Well, it, it's again pragmatic. I mean, like zero theorem was eight and a half million. Mm -hmm. Okay, I still I don't, don't understand that one with that whole lab and the whole. Thing. I don't understand how you did that. Find the right <laughs> locations. We didn't have to build any of that. Oh. It existed. I mean, you go to places like Bucharest. And they're full of surprises, and nobody else has been filming. <laughs> and no, I'm I'm pretty I'm good at finding things and reinventing their use. Let's put it that way. Even though that was one of the great finds, it's actually a place they do electrical experiments. Still, there's an old guy in there with a chair and a couple of wires, and these huge machines that have been built. They look like kids' uh, fantasy machines from the fifties. They're real. We shot them. <laughs> do you watch a lot of movies? Do you keep up on like what's in theaters now? Do you? Yeah, I mean, I had to sit through all the shit that was up for Academy Awards this year. <laughs> Boy, that was tedious. <laughs> uh, uh, if only Beale Street could talk faster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, there's good work. I mean, actually, I watched on the plane coming over here. Bad Times at uh, El Royale. Yes, yes. That's some really good work in that movie. I think it goes on a bit much. Mm -hmm. But this guy's smart. I've never heard of Drew Goddard before. Who is he? Screenwriter. Works with Ridley once in a while. He did, uh, he did, did, he's kind of gone from writing into, into directing. Well, whoever... Yeah. Okay, Sean McGarvey was his cameraman. Because yeah, it yeah, looks it, beautiful. Yeah, Sean It looks that. beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, it's overwritten, probably. But it's... It's good, good characters. Mm. It is a smart story. It's really well put together. I mm. was really impressed. There was so much stuff this year. It was just tedious, I thought. Yeah. That's all. all right. Well, something that's not tedious is, <laughs> is, is your wonderful... I have a question. There's apparently a new doc. We've all seen Lost in La Mancha. Yeah. Have you seen Lost in La Mancha? Have you watched... I, I can't imagine. Yeah. You, oh, okay. I was, I was sitting in a screening of it. Mike, Michael Kamen, you know, who did the music on Munchausen, yeah. he was sitting behind me with... Paul McGann, who is the eye of Withnail and I. Okay, yeah, yeah, And I was having a great time laughing. They were, I turned around at the end, and they were white as sheets. It was like, how did you survive that? I said, we survived, so you laugh. <laughs> um, have you, there's apparently a new one that's kind there of documented this last, have you, how involved with, I've heard it's wonderful. Oh, Uno. oh, there's no. laughter in the distance. You know, I've been told it's wonderful by the makers. <laughs> uh, my family disagrees. Okay. It's all so about an old guy who doesn't die making his movie. Oh, okay. Me. <laughs> yeah. right. It focused on me as opposed to the, the whole process. And it's, it's a, a particular, particular angle on me is all yeah. I can say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's diplomatic. All right. Well, so so this is uh, Wednesday. We're going to put this up. This is going to be Wednesday everywhere. Kind of one of those uh, seven hundred theater Thatham events, yep. uh, and uh, we'll, we'll all go check it out. But thank you for your time, and we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>